Welcome to this recording from Crossroad International Church. Today we will hear a message from Kath Mills on understanding the love of God. What we will discover in the following moments is the importance of understanding just how much God loves each and every one of us. While sometimes in the church these days, people can tend to think a little too much of themselves, we must always keep in mind that our Heavenly Father does love us a lot. It is our prayer that God will use this recording to minister to you today and help you to rediscover how important it is to have a firm understanding of just how much God really loves us. We will now join Kath and the message already in progress. Okay, I'm scared to death. So, the first thing you do when you're scared to death is you learn to look at your audience, just really look at them. Because they're not so scary if you really look at them. You guys are good looking. <laughs> okay, and the other thing is I've never had to hold the microphone like this before, so I'm trying to find my space. <clears throat> okay, so today we'll get started. Um, and this is about understanding the love of God that's been placed inside of you. Each of us has become a Christian, and when that happened, there was a miracle that happened we became filled with and exposed to God's love. And so we need to understand what that is and why it's been put in our life. Uh, when Christians as members of the local body are in an intimate fellowship with God and with each other, God will reveal things in private and in the assemblies to help each person achieve the same type of ministry demonstrated by Jesus. Okay, um, this happens when someone gets up and preaches the word, or it may happen after this service when we have our time of fellowship. And it may happen in a casual setting, or we may meet each other out in the grocery store and we might ask for some advice or something. And you usually know when this happens uh, because it'll hit home with you. It'll really hit home with you. Uh, and suddenly we know that we've heard from God about something. And all of us have this potential to give to each other, and we need to learn to flow in that. Um, together as Christians in a community, we make up God's, Jesus' body on the earth. The quality of fellowship with God determines how well Christians operate in the spirit and power of God. The more we know God, the more we can trust and rely on him. The more we can trust and rely on him, the easier it is for us to flow in his grace. And the easier it is for us to let go and let God. And that's what we want. The point of this sermon is to learn to just let go. Uh, don't try to handle God. Just let him flow through you. <clears throat> um... When we, when we spend time with God, as it is true with any relationship, we will learn his will and act according to that will. J.R. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, that there are three basic steps to begin the cultivation of a proper relationship with God. The one, uh, recognize and rejoice in God's unconditional love for you personally. Have you 
felt the love of God in your heart for you. Uh, read and listen to God's word and strive to apply it to your own life. Consider God's character as revealed in his word and work. Those are the three points that J.R. Packer makes. The first one, recognize and rejoice in God's unconditional love for you personally, is the most important one. When I became a Christian... When I became a Christian, <clears throat> I came out of a family that was uh, full of fear, and I had very, very low self-esteem. I didn't think I was worth anything. And so I carried those aspects into my Christian walk. So the first day of being a Christian, I felt good. I uh, felt lighter because my sins had been ro rolled away. I could physically feel that. I could walk outside and the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, the light was lighter. Everything was new for me. But then as I began to walk on with the Lord, the devil sort of came in and sort of said, "What? Well, you're still not worth anything. He saved you, but he just, he just needs a lot of numbers, so he, you're filler. You know, you're just sort of a filler person. But he doesn't really love you. He, he just loves everybody in general, and you're in that general crowd. And I started listening to this, and I was really having trouble. I would go out, and we were with some real strong Christians for fellowship, and... <clears throat> And everybody would talk and give their testimony, and I'd think, well, but God doesn't really know me very well, you know, and that kind of thing. So this became a bit of a problem. So um, later on, as I walked through, and I, I asked God, well, you know, do you love me? You know, I mean, am I filler? You know, what's what's up? And uh, I be, uh, we we got pregnant, and I, I was about seven months pregnant then, and we went to Arkansas to, Steve's see, to see Steve's father. Slow down. And he owns a great big cattle farm, and to move from Louisiana, his cattle farm, up to Arkansas, he had had to buy several little farms and put them together so that he could have a big cattle ranch that would hold, handle all of his cows. So in, while he, once he got that, there were several uh, parcels of forest that he had to clear out. And he had a great big tractor. He loved it. It was his big toy. And he would go out every day and he would push these trees down and roll them to the edge of the fields. And he had done this to several of the fields. Um, and uh, let's see. So, oh. <laughs> so I've never given this particular testimony before. So, uh, on the edge of the field, there were parallel logs, and they had some dirt pushed up in them. But one of the little calves, the brand new calves, had fallen down between the parallel logs, and it was in a hole, and the hole was filled with water. And Steve and his daddy and I had gotten up 
and we, we'd gone out looking at the cows because it was time for them to be having their calves and you had to check to make sure everything was all right. And we saw this one mama cow who was in distress. So we went up near there and we started looking around and we fought, saw this calf that was down in this hole and it was about this high in water and it was having trouble. It was so weak, it was newborn. It was having trouble putting, keeping its head out of the water. And so Steve and his daddy jumped out and they tried to move the logs and they tried to reach the calf and they couldn't. So his dad said to him, quick, go back to the house and get the chainsaw. And so Steve and I jumped in the, car, in the truck and there was no road. So we bumped, and I'm seven months pregnant, bumping on the road. And we went and we got the chainsaw. And as we went, Steve would look at me and he'd see, you know, I'm seven months pregnant, he'd say, well, tell me if you need it, slow down. <laughs> and so he would slow down. But then the urgency of the calf would get him and he would speed up. And then he would look at me and he would slow down. <laughs> So I was, I, we bumped up and we bumped back and we got back and Steve was able to take, gee, I did this with two hands, take, take a big chunk of log out with the chainsaw and they pulled it up and then they reached down in there and during this time Steve's dad had spent his time holding the calf's head above water and they reached down and they pulled this weak, bedraggled, muddy, wet, nasty little calf out onto the ground. And God spoke in my spirit and said, you're that calf. Just like Steve's dad sent Steve to get the chainsaw, I sent my son to get you. And I, I knew he loved me. And from that time on, I've always been able to walk in the knowledge that he loves me. And each and every one of us needs to seek God to know that we know that we know that he loves us. And he does. He loves us individually. He knows us personally. That's who we are. <sighs> we, um, the second point. We need to listen to God's word and strive to apply it to our lives. And the need to study and grasp the love of God is vital for a number, number of reasons. Uh, one, the love of God is the cause, the basis, and the standard for all the love we are expected to demonstrate in our lives as Christians. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, so that you may become sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you more than others? 
do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We Christians need to know and understand the love of God in order to be effective witnesses for Christ. We need to understand the love of God is unnatural. What we have here, what we're going to have with our fellowship is an unnatural thing. We get closer together because we can trust each other, because we know Jesus. We have a personal brother, all of us, that unifies us and makes us um, family. And this is not something the world has. And it's, it's what Christianity is all about, and, and it's what draws people. Much more than standing on the corner with your Bible yelling verses out, just the fellowship and love you demonstrate to each other and to them is a huge, massive witness. <clears throat> uh, point two, love is to be a principal goal of our lives. We need to understand God's love and be growing in it constantly. And we need to actively seek for God's revelation on this subject. You really need to sort of uh, stew in the fact that you're, he loves you and find out and look for verses on love in the Bible. The, the whole New Testament is jammed full of it. The Old Testament refers to it a lot, uh, but it's there. It's, it's there. <clears throat> it is the love of Christ which controls us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses four, verse 14 talks about how the love of God constrains us or compels us to do things. This word means to hold together or to grip tightly. And there is a sense of constraint, a tight grip that leaves us no choice except to live our lives as Christians. Sometimes, like you're out on the highway and somebody abuses you. Well, as a Christian, there should be something that holds you up from going and running into that guy, okay? Uh, sometimes we're treated badly by others and then we do not deserve it. When this happens, hopefully we are able to demonstrate the restraining power of God in our lives. We do not run them down to others or accuse them. Instead, we demonstrate the love of God and walk in humility and meekness. Now, I don't do this, but this is what we're supposed to do, all right? Okay, as Christians, <laughs> we have access to the power of God to love our enemies even when falsely accused or abused. We have the power through God's love to make peace where there is no peace. And this is where you, a lot of people, we struggle. We, we'll go to work and there's this person, this person up there that's bugging you, driving you nuts, but your Christianity should constrain you to act and behave well. <clears throat> what we love is what we will tend to be like or to imitate. What we love is what we tend to be like or to imitate. So look around you and look at these people. There's a lot of people that we could follow or imitate in this room. 
And we know each other so well, we're beginning to love each other so well that we should be able to pull each other up rather than down. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says that every time we meet and interact with another person, we have the power and we do, we influence that person toward Christianity or away from Christianity. And we need to be aware of that. It doesn't matter who that other person is, we can influence them for Christ. Love for others is evidence of true faith in Christ. It helps us know each other in the body of Christ. And um, let's see, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Okay, and the second part of that is love for others demonstrates that Christianity is real to unbelievers. We have influence in the lives of those people we form relationships with. Now, I don't have a relationship with the same people you people have relationships with. You don't have relationships with the same people. Other, So everyone is responsible to be influencing people for Christ by their example because God has placed those people in your aura, in your area, so that you can shine your light. Not hitting them over the head and witnessing to them so, you know, like, you got to get saved, so much as just living a good Christian life before them with principles and morals intact. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all, by this all shall know that you are my disciples if you lo uh, lo have loved one toward another. Okay, um, when we were in Kenya, we moved around a bit, and at one point we lived up in the northern frontier district. It's up on the northern, up on the Somali border. Uh, there's a river that runs through Kenya, and it's across the river, up in the wild area. Uh, you had to be brought in by convoy and you had to leave by convoy. You couldn't just go in. There were too many thieves and uh, people. So it was a very dangerous area and we lived there for a while. <clears throat> and when we got there, we went to several different restaurants. We went to this one restaurant one time and when we did, we went in and we sat down and it was very unusual for a white couple to be there. We, we had our three children with us. We went in and we sat down and the proprietor looked up and saw us and he immediately grabbed his little girl and whispered something to her and she ran out. And so then he himself came over to wait on us because we were very important people. <laughs> And he came over to wait on us, and he took our order, and he went back, and when the order came, his daughter came back with a big jug of water, and he came to our table, and he said, this water you can drink. This is water from my house, 
and that we keep in our freezer and you'll be able to drink this water. And it was the first water we drank in public in Kenya in probably 12 years. <laughs> so we all had water, it was wonderful. Usually you just have a soda because you know the sodas are clean. So then after the meal, he came and he said, would you mind coming back to my house? My wife would like to meet you. And he was an Arab from Saudi, I think, or where was it? Oh, from Saudi. But she was an Arab from Kuwait, and America had rescued the Kuwaitis, so she wanted to, we were the first Americans that they had seen, so she wanted to, to thank us. So we went back, we met Amina, and she thanked us, and we became friends. And we, uh, we went to the market together, we went to each other's houses, uh, I learned a lot about Islam. <laughs> Uh, because they had dietary things I didn't realize. And uh, we became really good friends. Their kids played with our kids, and it was a good time. Well, as time passed, uh, America invaded Somalia. And we were on the Somali border, and so one of the chief, the five warlords moved down in, across the border and moved down into our area. And the Somalis in our area, which were the majority, got really upset with Americans. So our son had to be escorted to and from everywhere he went um, in public. And they threw rocks at our cars. And uh, we went to the library, and the librarian was Somali. And she didn't say anything to us, but she started throwing books all over. And so we realized that it was time for us to leave. <laughs> Doesn't take much, but you know, we figured out it was time for us to leave. And so um, I went to Amina's house and I said to her, I am so sorry, we're gonna have to leave here. And she said, well, because you're Americans, we knew that that was coming. But she said, I want you to know that very soon I will leave here too, because when you leave, my only friend will leave. I won't have any more friends. And in her culture, and their society, everybody competed with everybody. Nobody made good friends. You just made a good friend if somebody was richer than you or that they had something that you wanted, you would make friends with them, but it wasn't real. And she had never experienced real friendship from somebody that didn't want anything from her, that didn't, you know, wasn't gonna use her for anything. And I didn't know that until she said this to me. I had no idea that I had been a witness. I used to go home and say, well, you know, you should say something about Jesus. <laughs> but I didn't, I, and I, I didn't realize the impact just my life, and she had gotten a, been able to get into our family and see how Steve interacted with the kids, and how the kids obeyed their mother. And different, you know, she had learned masses of stuff, and I hadn't realized that. So you never know what happens. If you've got an opportunity, take it. Just be yourself, because yourself has been changed miraculously into the image of Christ. All right, so now I'm done. <laughs> I'm not done done. <laughs> now I've got one more illustration. <laughs> And I learned this, I heard this long ago, and I can't for the life of me remember where I heard it, but I love it, so I'm gonna tell you. Uh, there's a dream, somebody is dreaming. 
And there's a dream, it's about heaven and hell. And the first place the person wakes up, they're in a place that they know is hell. And it's a long, it's a long big room. And the room is, has a long table in the middle of it. And the table is filled with the most gorgeous food you could ever want. It's a banquet. It's got everything. And lined up on both sides are chairs. And there's people sitting in the chairs. But this is hell. So these people all have one hand tied behind their back. And on the other hand, they have a fork that is tied to their arm. And it goes like, like that. And there's um, braces, braces on their arm. And so no matter how much they can reach the food, they can never bend their elbow <laughs> to taste it. And that's a picture of hell. You know, there it is. And they, they're just, so this, all these people are just moaning and complaining and crying and whining. And then the scene switches, and it's a picture of heaven. Same long room, same beautiful banquet, people sitting on both sides of the room, of the, of the table, and one hand is tied behind their back, and the other hand has that stupid fork on it. But these people are happy and rejoicing and laughing and having a good time because they pick up the food and feed the guy across the table. And then they pick up the food and feed someone else. And while they're doing that, someone picks up some food and feeds them. And that's a picture of heaven. Same circumstances, but a completely different way of doing things. And that's who we are as the body of Christ. We are that group of people that's completely different than everybody around us.